So you just gotta like, just do it. I, I know that's like the worst, most annoying advice ever, but it is just like, get in front of the computer, look at the wall, put the words down, get it done. <laughs> Welcome to School for Writers, where we help you ditch that starving, tortured artist cliche and bribe. No more struggling over whether your story is good enough or wondering if your voice deserves to be heard. It's time to step into the power of telling your story to the world. I'm your host, Lauren Marie Fleming, and I am a book-obsessed, queer, fat, witchy, divinely loud woman. And I know what it's like to have society tell you to sit down and shut up but I'm here to tell you that you've been silenced for far too long. School for Writers was created to help you push through doubt and fear so you can stop procrastinating and start writing because the world needs your story now more than ever. Welcome to School for Writers. Let's get to it. Hey listeners, you're about to hear from Jincy Lumpkin, and we're going to break down some of the business aspects, the logistical parts of being a writer. But one of the things that Jincy says, and I 100% agree with, that writers, they got to write. If you are struggling to sit your butt in that chair and write, the one thing you have to do as a writer, I got something for you. It's called my Write More Challenge. In just 10 minutes a day for 10 days, I'm going to help you create the mental and physical space in your life that you need to write. I'm going to help you find your accountability dream team, and I'm going to help you jumpstart that writing routine of yours that you long to have. Because the way to become a published author is to sit your butt in that chair and write. That is the only way to make writing work for you is to actually do the darn thing. So if you're struggling to write, or if you just need a little kickstart in your writing routine, head to writemorechallenge.com. And for 10 minutes a day, for the next 10 days, I'm going to help you jumpstart your writing routine. Once again, that's writemorechallenge.com. And of course, we got that link for you down in the show notes. Hello, and welcome back to the School for Writers podcast. I'm really excited today because we have on a friend and colleague of mine named Jincy Lumpkin. Now, Jincy and I met... Mm, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe even 20 years ago, we were both in the porn industry. I was writing about porn. I'd done my law school thesis on pornography. And Jensi was starting this radical, luxurious lesbian porn movement. And it was amazing and wonderful. And I was like, I want to talk to you. I want to interview you. I am so in love with the luxury and the femme fatale and this amazingness that is Jensi Lumpkin. Fast forward a decade, two decades now, and we are both writers. And that's what we connected with in that very first call that we had years ago, the times that we spent together in New York City. We connected over the power of the written word to change the world and the power of the stories that we tell to change the world, to create worlds and to create a business. Jincy Lumpkin is one of those people who's just kept this wonderful, beautiful brand for herself throughout of it. And all of it includes luxury and making money and thriving as a writer. We are about to have an amazing conversation, not just about her new book, Mermaid in Venice, but you're also gonna hear about how do you plot out a book? How do you plot a book so well that you can write it in six months? How do you self-publish with the luxury of a traditional publishing? How do you make sure that your grammar is right? How do you bust out a series of books? How do you actually make 
money in this world of writing. Jensi is a thought leader when it comes to women and culture. She's given an infamous TEDx talk called All Robots, The Future of Sex. She's lectured all around the world at summits devoted to business, creativity, and writing. She's been profiled in Dateline, NBC, Vice, GQ. I did the Vice magazine, one of the Vice magazine ones. Uh, profiles on her in the past. She's been in Out magazines listed as the Out 100. She is a powerhouse. A powerhouse that is now bringing that power of storytelling and business and creativity and writing to writing and to all of you to help you find your own personal power when it comes to building a business around this creative world that we love of storytelling. This is both inspirational and educational. So let's go ahead and just dive right into my wonderfully helpful conversation and inspiring conversation with Jincy Lumpkin. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the School for Writers podcast, Jency. I am so excited to reconnect with you and super excited to talk about your new book, Mermaid in Venice. I just did your formal intro. You want to tell us all who you are, how you exist in this world, oh, what do yeah. you create and put out in it? Absolutely. So I'm Jency Lumpkin, as you well know. We've known each other for a long time now. I'm a writer and a creative director in the luxury beauty space. So I'm about to release my first novel. It's coming out next week. And it's called Mermaid of Venice. And it's it is out about now, a... actually. People who are listening. oh yes, it's out now, guys. It's out now. It came out March fifteenth. We we we're doing this a couple weeks early, but it's out now, so you can go get it. It's uh, it is about a very rich, very glamorous mermaid who kills men all over Europe. And I can I just say how much I love that. Like it's about a very rich, very glamorous mermaid who kills <laughs> men all over Europe. Like I love it, Mermaid in Venice. It definitely caught me immediately from the cover, from the premise. And as I was reading, I was just like, how is this going to end? Oh my gosh. It's definitely a page turner. Well, I had it on my, on my nook. So it was a, it was a page tapper. Right, (laughs) right, right. It's great. So tell me a little bit about, a little bit more about you. I interrupted you because I got so excited, but tell me a little bit more about you in this world and how this book came to pass. Yes. Me in this world. Gosh. I mean, as you know, because we've known each other for a long time. I've had quite a career trajectory. So this is like another iteration, I think of myself throughout the years. So I started out as an attorney and then um, opened my own porn production company. So I did that for a number of years and then transitioned into the beauty industry after that. And so now I'm you know, opening up this whole new life for myself as a writer. So I'm self-publishing this work. And this is the first in a series of six books about the same character, Gia Aquaviva. And in terms of what I put into the world, I mean, I guess my aesthetic is always powerful woman and it's sexy. And um, I don't know, I just, you know, I guess my goal in life is really just to bring people escape and joy and entertain them. That's always what I'm going for, whatever it is that I'm doing. Powerful, sexy, luxurious. That definitely, when I think of your brand, I think of that like, powerful sex luxury is I think of when we used to call you the Hugh Hefner of porn like your porn yes, is always so yes, luxurious yes. so amazing yeah um and I always appreciated having that as a queer person having lesbian porn and queer porn yeah. that was luxurious and uh, not that I don't love the like gritty versions yeah. as well but I same, love that same, like same. 
powerful, sexy, like power femme is what I, what yeah, I think exactly. I think <laughs> power, high femme, power vibes. High femme, power femme, boss babe vibes. I love it. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you the question that I ask everybody when they come on this podcast and that's why writing? Writing is truly, truly, truly my passion above and beyond anything. So I've done lots of things in my career, but the thread through has always been writing. And of everything that I've done my entire life, writing's been the thing that I've always been most confident in. I wrote even when I was little. You know, I, I, my mom saved all the scraps of paper for me growing up. <laughs> so I found something recently when I was cleaning out her house on, you know, getting ready to move to Portugal. And she'd saved it in this little folder called like Gen C fifth grade or something. And the teacher said, how to fill out a little <laughs> questionnaire. And one of them was like, do you work? And I was like, yes, every day for two hours at my desk. <laughs> and, you know, I was always, even as a kid writing little stories and I produced a newspaper for the family. So I would write breaking news, you know, like the dog got out or whatever. <laughs> Go to my so sister's much. room, my brother's room, my parents' room. Once I wrote this story about my dad's barber dying and he gave it to the barber. Barbara didn't like that at all. Oh, I was like, wait, wait that, that's so sweet. But then the barber wasn't dead. No, no, he was definitely alive. I killed him off, killed him off. I was starting even then. Uh, uh -huh. Actually, for those of you who have not yet read Mermaid Infamous, that pays, you know, that's a good, yeah, I would, I like that. It started early. It did. And I don't know, you know, my mom had always encouraged me to write. Like she was really, 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 in favor of that. And she wasn't in favor of a lot of the choices that I made career-wise. So she was not like remotely happy when I left law to go uh, be a lesbian porn producer. I mean, kind of understandable, but at the same time, <clears throat> you know, she really didn't come around to that until probably like I was on like Dateline, I think. And then she was like, oh, my daughter's on television. Um, so yeah, that was she was always, you know, she had this vision of me like coming down to Florida, like after she died and keeping the house and writing there and whatever. And that's actually what happened. So when she passed away in 2019, I kept the house. And then after the pandemic started, that was actually what really prompted this book. I went down there for a couple months and worked on it. And I know I felt her all around me, just so happy and proud of me, you know? So mm -hmm. that's been, um, that's been cool. And then I was, I wrote this blog post too, about the fact that we went to this psychic in Casadega, Florida one time. And she was like, you're a writer. Your name is going to be known in a book. <laughs> and I think I was like 24 or something. I was like, okay, lady, whatever. Um, but it just stuck with me throughout the years. And I just kept thinking like, oh, what would that book be? And I was working with a writing partner for a long time for about five years on a fantasy series. And that ended very badly. Um, and that was really painful. And it was a while before I wrote again. And, you know, I, I think I'm kind of going all over the place here, but, you know, I also think I was really scared when I was, you know, transitioning into the beauty industry that no one would hire me. And when it came to, I sat down and I really like thought about it. Cause I had, you know, taken a couple of years off. I sold my company and I was able to like work on the other project for a while. And then when I was time, when it was time for me to go back to, you know, earning money again, I was like, well, shit, what can I do? I haven't worked in an office since I was like forever. Like, 
is anyone going to hire me? Can I even work in an office? Can I wake up and, you know, and be there at nine o'clock? What would I do? And I just started thinking back on like, what are my, what's my skill set? You know, and I, I really landed back again at writing. And so that's what I did. I just said, okay, cool. So <laughs> writer's going to write. And um, I carved out a niche for myself as a copywriter in luxury beauty. I just like, I wrote down writer's going to write. Like, yeah. <laughs> I need to get that on a t-shirt. Like writer's going to write. Yeah. <laughs> I, there's so much goodness in that. And I want to delve into so many of the questions that I have for you, but, yeah. but what you were just talking about with your mom and feeling her around you is actually the thing that's like calling to me. So mm. I talk a lot about muses and not understanding where creativity even comes from, where these ideas yeah. come from. And one of the things that I talk a lot about is our ancestors. I really do feel my mm. ancestors, my brother has passed, my grandparents, friends sitting with me and telling me my latest book, I swear to God, Chris Farley is hanging out and like giving me bits for it. And I just want to know how that, how that feels to you when mm. you feel like somebody is like either feeding you inspiration or cheering you on. How does that feel yeah. to you? I mean, specifically with my mom, you know, especially right after she passed, like I physically felt her around me and, you know, I could smell her perfume and she was like fucking with my phone a lot and like turning music on and, you know, stuff like that, like oldies or whatever, or sending weird text messages from like random numbers. And then, you know, I think as time went by, it was, it's more you know, I get visitations and dreams. And I think too, what I feel is, I don't know, she kind of came into me and I understand her so much better now that she's gone. I don't know. I have so much more compassion for her too. You know, we really struggled a lot with our relationship when she was alive. And I now realize like if she could have done a better job, she would have done a better job. She just could not. And so I think I think she infused me with all of the things that she wanted to accomplish herself and, and like the strength, I don't know. I like sucked it up you know, inside of me. And so I think that that's where it is. It's like, when I feel, you know, like yesterday I had a really hard day. I don't know. I just was struggling and I was like, nothing's working and I'm marketing the book. And it's so hard, as you know, like I had no idea how hard it is to sell books. Like you have to hustle for every single copy sold and, you know, you have to really I'm basically building up again from scratch and that's can be really frustrating sometimes. So I was struggling with it a lot yesterday, but I just, you know, if there was anything that she was, it was like, she really had a grit and determination and ambition. And so those things were passed on to me. So in days that I feel like I just can't do it anymore, <laughs> you know, and I want to like, I can't say I want to throw in the towel because I'm so committed to it now, but it's sort of like, you have that instinct regardless. Like I just think about her and, and it gives me that extra push to keep going, you know, like, okay, finish a blog post, send another email, do that. And I feel her strength coming to me and I, I like candles for her a lot, you know, and I ask for her help all the time. She, I'm like, listen, get me another gig. Okay. <laughs> like, Come on, ma. A little extra cash, cash my way. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, they always come through. Oh, I love that so much. Cause I resonate with that so much, but I also love yeah. that, that you're able to have that relationship with your mother now in a way that you weren't, wouldn't have in the past. And that that yeah. has fueled your writing. 
So you touched on it a little bit, but you, so your mother passed and then 2019, you were in Florida. And then it sounds to me from the book, from the like, preference of the book or the acknowledgement yeah. of the book that you were in Italy during the pandemic. Like, tell me. No. So yeah. tell me where you are in the world, because <laughs> okay. I know you as my like high powered lesbian porn friend that lives in New York yeah. city. And yeah, then yeah, yeah. now you're not. And that's amazing because I was a different person back then when we met as well. For those who don't know, I wrote about pornography. I did my law school thesis paper on pornography. And so that's how I met Gen Z. But I want to know where you, how you ended up. I mean, you're in Portugal right now. So mm-hmm. where in the world are you and what are you doing in that world? And and you're. it sounds to me, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're kind of living that fantasy that a lot of the people that I have that come to me of like the traveling writer. And yeah. so tell us about that fantasy and if that fantasy is even real. Yeah. So my wife and I came to Portugal. We moved to Portugal last October. So October, 2020, I actually wrote the book starting in May of 2020. Yeah. And I finished it like September of 2020. So what happened in April of 2020 was that I was still in New York at the time. I was working in advertising. I had gotten a job, I think the latter part of 2019, Um, really great job with an advertising company. And then I got fired from that job. And that was a blessing in disguise because I got fired at the same time that I got COVID, like basically within days of each other. So I was sick the entire month of April with COVID, just knocked out, like in the bedroom, on the couch, like could barely move, hardly take a shower. All of the COVID stuff, I was lucky that it wasn't worse. My wife and I were sick at the same time. And yeah, if you remember, everybody shut down at the same time, like the world was just on pause. And I saw this video of the clear water in the canals in Venice. And it triggered this memory that I had had from years ago where I had this dream about this, like I was this woman and she just murdered her lover. And she was in this like silk, emerald silk dress, like slip dress. And she hopped in the canal and became a mermaid and she was swimming away and she was going to go to another European city and kill another lover. And I've definitely always had a fascination with serial killers for sure. But I had never had the experience of like what it might feel like to kill someone. Thank God, you know, obviously, because I'm not a killer. Um, (laughs) But it definitely sparked my imagination. And I wrote it down in my book because I keep a book of ideas and just forgot about it for years. And so when I saw that image in the canal, I was like, oh, right, I have that dream. And I couldn't sleep one night because I was on this really weird sleep schedule from COVID. Had horrible insomnia. And then one night I was just like, okay, right. I have that story. All right. What would the character be like? And how would the story be? And I've made this commitment to myself that I don't start anything like a story or a book, unless I know how it's going to end. Like Mm. that's the deal that I get in with myself going forward because I've gotten myself stuck in several projects and it makes it very difficult to, if not impossible to finish them. Um, And so I started thinking about that, like, okay, well, how could it end? And, you know, working my way backward from that. And I work with a really specific plot structure when I write. So I use the W plot structure and then I transfer that onto the wall. And I always start with 40 chapters. So I was like, okay, W plot structure wise, like what would be the high and low points? And I kind of had it plotted out a little bit that night, really like the bones of it. So I woke up the next day and I was really excited about it. And then, yeah, I started thinking like, okay, hmm, 
actually, I feel like the story's not done. And then by the end of that day, I had like the high and low points of six books plotted out. So I was like, shit. And I just, I couldn't, I had planned honestly to take time off because I, you know, I was so sick. And then I just was so, I had had really a couple really stressful jobs back to back and like kind of, I was a little like traumatized from work. So I just wanted to take a little bit of time off and rest and relax, but I just couldn't. The book was calling to me too hard. I had to do it. And I'm glad that I did because I'm sure you know how it feels when you, you know, like I said, I plot a lot. I don't plot the whole thing. It's not possible for me to do that, but I do put the notes up and kind of follow the structure. When you get into it and you're sailing along, it's like the most exhilarating feeling in the world. And I don't know, it took, I was, I had been a bit lost before that. And I had been confused, I think, about what I really wanted to do with my life. And I thought advertising would be the thing. And then I had had that job and just been really disappointed with it. And I was like, no, 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 no. Writing. This is what feels good for you. It's just, I love it so much. Like it's just when I'm, when I'm writing and I'm in the world of it, whether I'm plotting or, you know, or actually writing the words or, or editing or whatever, whatever part of the process that is that I'm doing, the marketing is harder although I do enjoy that it's just a different part of the brain a whole different um, <laughs> yeah I get so lost in it and I love it so much and to answer your question about quote unquote the fantasy life I mean we're in the middle of a lockdown right now in Portugal so that is difficult but I have specifically sought out to structure my life in a way that makes it work for me so I work remotely and um, I support myself doing stuff in the luxury beauty world. So I just finished up, I just wrapped up a job with JLo doing her skincare line, doing digital ads for her. And I just started with a new client last week. So yeah, I mean, with the cost of living here, I would say that that's, you know, if anybody's looking for that, just, uh, we have an apartment that's like 850 euros and overlooks the Atlantic ocean. So coming from New York, like Mm -hmm. that was very affordable. And, you know, I don't, I don't have to like, I don't even have to work full time to make this work for me. The other thing that I think is really important is I also, I still make money from the porn business. Mm. Like I still bring in at least like $1,500 every month from that. So I always encourage writers too. I do a lot of like writing rooms on Clubhouse and I'm always like, think about multiple streams of income. Like that's the key. And I had no idea when I was doing it no idea that it was going to continue to pay out, you know, royalties and dividends years down the road, but it does. And it makes a big difference. All that money helps. I love that you said that because I think we want, I hear so many people talk about wanting to just write a book and get the big book deal. And then they'll be set and they'll have all these like book sales. And I know New York Times bestselling authors who don't, Mm -hmm. who can't pay their bills off book sales. You have to build something else around it. These big authors that you see, they're making money from their speaking or they're making money from, you know, the movie deal that comes with a book deal. Like it's a, you have to think of it as more than just one book. If you want to pay your bills in it, that could be a series. The people I do know that pay their bills off book sales, they bust out books the best way to sell your first book is to write the second. So series help, but, but you have to be, you have to think of it in the way that an 
accountant or I also think like if I was running a pizza shop, I wouldn't have just what expect one pizza to pay all of my bills unless right. that pizza was the best pizza in the whole wide world. Like one type of pizza is not going to pay my bills. And if it did, I'd have to sell a lot of that one kind of pizza. Mm -hmm. So I love that you brought that up. I also love a lot of what you said, but I, I want you to explain for people who might not know what that W plot structure looks like to you and what it means to 40 chapters. Because while I absolutely want to talk about your book, this is also a school for writers. So yes. I would love to know a little bit more about how that structure works for you, that yep. W plot structure. Absolutely. I think it's great. Definitely Google it. So it's been around for forever since like ancient Greece. And it basically gives you the structure of the book. So essentially you start out at the top with your inciting incident, and then you're going to have falling action. So things that happen really quickly, this helps a lot with pacing until you get to your first turning point, which is going to be the end of the first act. Then you go up the W that's rising action. So there's going to be a lot of tension building. And then in the middle of the W is what's called the pop moment. So that's like the shit hits the fan and a lot of things are going on. Then you're going to have falling action again on the other side of the W. Um, you get to your second turning point here. So that's like another twist in the plot. And then you're rounding up for your last act, um, which is going to be rising action again. And so there's, again, a lot of tension um, up to whatever, you know, whether you're finishing your book and it's a one thing, you're going to have your conclusion, your climax and your conclusion. For me, I'm writing a series, so I'm always ending on cliffhangers. And so the other thing about the W plot structure is it gives you it's a specific length. So everything is always the same. That's why I start with 40 chapters. Act one and act three are going to be the same length. And act two is the same length as those other two combined. So that keeps it really balanced and you're not struggling. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like end of act two is always a struggle just because you are, you're running out. You don't have everywhere to go <laughs> that you did when you started the book. So your choices for your characters are limited and you're coming up because I'm starting knowing what the ending is and you know where you have to be. So you have to like get them there in a way that's expeditious, but not too expeditious. And you have to make sure that you're like, you know, still structuring things in a way that it's building tension. So that can be really tough, but I've developed strategies to help me make that a little bit easier. And so the way that I that I get that from the W plot structure from just those plot points to the wall is I know again that they're the same length. So you have act one, act two, which is split in two basically, and then act three. So then I will take 10 chapters. I'll, I guess I could show you, let me see, cause we're, we're on YouTube right now. We have YouTube as well as the podcast. Hi guys, sorry, Hi. podcast, sorry, but we're, we're looking at the wall here. Oh, that's great. I love that you can show the actual physicality of this. Yeah. And it's really great. So I basically do one sticky note per chapter and it is a great way to track. I do a lot of like date based plotting. So it's happening at a certain time. So I'll say like, okay, September 7th, this is happening. Quick like overview bullet points of what's happening in the scene. This is a plot, B plot, C plot. And it gives you like a nice bird's eye view when you're sitting at your desk, you know, you can kind of look up and be like, oh shit, what's happening? And <laughs> where am I going? To, yeah. Ah, it's a great way to be able to string pieces together. It's really just like, you know, like stringing pearls together. Right. And you're just like hoping <laughs> sometimes when I get stuck, I realize that I just can't write the next scene. So I'll skip ahead to something that's really exciting for me. And then I'll come back, circle back. And that's usually really helpful and unsticking me. 
I love that you said that because when people in my programs are stuck, I'm like, write a sex scene, write the, a food scene, write yeah. about them like having a fight because it's the, it's the exciting moments that keep you excited about the book. So when yeah. somebody has ever lost and they're like struggling, I'm like, just write a sex scene, write a fight scene, <laughs> write a food great. scene, write a scene that's exciting you. You don't have to write it in order when you have that. So I love that you explained that that W structure, how does that W structure play into, you're doing a six book series, which I'm really excited about because I was reading and I was like, wait, what is happening? Where is this thing? <laughs> Am I going to Senegal? Like what is happening? Tell me yeah. everything. And um, so I, yeah, I would love to know how do you plot, if that's how you plot individual books, do you also mm -hmm. do that W structure for the series? How do you plot no, out the series? Each book will be its own W. Okay. So, you know, I know that just because I feel like I'm learning that it's going to have a rhythm and it's different for me because I'm now writing book two. So tonally, there are things that are very similar, but it's also like even crazier than the first one and like the funnier in a way, but like also surreal and like really sinister in a different kind of way. So I think, you know, it can't be that's across the board on the plot. Like it can't be at an extremely high level of intensity the whole time you have to infuse humor, I think. And um, otherwise it's just so like monotone. And what is unifying across the series is of course the plot structures continue. So the plot threads, I'm sorry, the plot threads continue. So, you know, you still are having the same sort of like a plot. It's just like the players may change. And you said that you wrote this first one in six months. So that sounds like, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That's amazing. I love that. I think and I maybe think, like five, yeah, five, four, five, six, something like that. Yeah. I think that people try to not have any structure because they see a structure as limiting. I see people who like don't want to write within genre because I don't want to choose mm -hmm. and they see it as limiting, but I see it as kind of scaffolding. Like you just showed, yeah. you, you build on it. I think of this fame, there's a, there's a couple of famous quotes that are all about how the sonnet, this really, really strong structured, really strictly structured poem has created be like beauty beyond compare because yeah. when you're working within the realm, you can, it's, you, it's like a scaffolding on which to build. So you're not just yeah. trying to do everything at once. So I love that you have your own scaffolding, including post-its on the wall. I have in my <laughs> hallway, this huge plotting structure that my sister and my nieces that I live with, they're like, can we put up stuff on there? I'm like, no, that is my wall to plot yeah. books. And they complain when I don't have anything up there. So that's a good sign for me when I need to start writing again is when they're like, hey, it's empty. You gonna put anything on there? So tell me a little bit about what it is to set a book in a foreign country. Did you go to, I mean, you're in a pandemic, you're hmm. setting it in a different place. We have this idea that if we're going to not set it somewhere, we know we have to go there, but mm -hmm. I don't, did you go to Italy? I'm during, I had time? been to Venice. Well, I went as a child and then I went with my now wife in like 2018, I think, um, for six days, which is like way too long. To be in Venice. I don't yeah. actually love Venice, believe it or not. I would agree. Considering I, I wrote a book on it. Uh, <laughs> I was definitely like, you, a, like, is Venice a special place for you? It works. <laughs> like, it would be a really great place for a mermaid to live. 100%. Um, no, I mean, what I, I definitely got a good overview of it when I was there for the six days that I was there, but I just research really helps. So, you know, for example, the place where she hides the bodies is a hotel where I had lunch with my wife many, many times. And so I just, you know, I thought about that. And then 
I charted the path on Google Maps to like where she would live, you know, and I kind of like zoomed in and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. This is the name of this canal because all the canals there are named like streets. And I'm like, okay, right, right, right. So she turns here and then she turns here. So I was like really plotting it on the map. And I do a lot of just, you know, I mean, I'll put together like a lot of people now put together Pinterest boards with places where, you know, her houses, because she has multiple houses or like what it looks like or the room, you know, just I can kind of describe it. And so I don't know, I think I personally don't think it's necessary to, to totally travel there. I also, you know, I love Neil Gaiman and I was watching his masterclass recently and he was talking about places and how you can, especially this is fantasy, right? So you can take a place and then you can superimpose other things that you know on top of it. So for example, I mentioned earlier that I wrote <laughs> as a little kid, the story about my dad's barber and killing him off. And I actually put that barber shop in Venice. So he had all of this like vintage Coca-Cola memorabilia and all over the place. So I just thought that was like really special. And I, I had heard of this bookstore in Venice and like what, saw it online with all these bathtubs with books in it. And so I was like, oh, that's cute. But what if we do that at the barber shop? So, you know, I kind of married all of those things to just give it like whimsy. And ultimately all, all that I'm, you know, it's like, it's mine until it's not mine, you know? So we're in a weird phase because it doesn't belong to me anymore. It's out there in the world. But while I'm building it, like I can just do whatever I want to do with it. And that's so exciting and fun. That's one of the most fun parts is, is inventing everything and then um, describing it in the way that's most fun for you. I loved the barbershop, the barbershop, just the concepts of the barbershop, all the stuff. So I love that it comes from this childhood of yours and this mm -hmm. childhood story even like plays into it. That makes me so happy because the barbershop <laughs> was one of my favorite places in the book and the other places I feel like I would be giving away things. So I'm not going to yeah, talk yeah, about yeah, them yeah. online, but I do, <laughs> you know, there's like, <laughs> there's very cool places in this book. It has really great it's a really great place. It's really great space. I feel like I'm there. I feel like I am exploring. I feel like I'm underwater. And I want to know what it felt like to write about murder. So I have an assassin's yeah. book that I wrote. And I felt like while I was writing that book, I thought of ways to kill people that kind mm. of concerned me. <laughs> so what yeah. is it to like inhabit the world of somebody who murders people? I mean, I think I'm channeling a lot of like rage and trauma into the writing. So I'm a sexual abuse survivor. And, you know, luckily, like I have never perpetrated anything like that, but it's, you know, bad things have happened to me. And so I take that and I think I also have for a long time tried to just make sense of why people would do the things that they do. It never has made sense to me. And so I just try to like tap into the idea of like, okay, I'm a sociopath or I'm a psychopath and this is fine because it's something I want to do, you know? And when you put it with that lens in the world, like nothing is off limits anymore. And I'm also able to infuse really hor I have horrible nightmares, sometimes night terrors. And so those will definitely also go in. So it's just like a way for me to like exercise all the, I think all of the like darkness that comes in, that's like not part flows through me, I guess, that isn't part of me. It's just like things that happen to me. And I'm also just, I've always been fascinated with serial killers. So 
one thing that's really interesting to me, for example, like Ted Bundy, or I don't know, the, I forgot what I want to call him BTQ killer. I can't remember if that's right, but we're going to blind torture kill. Yeah. I think it's BKT or something like that. Anyway, the fact that they are able to have families, you know, that they can go out and do these horrible things and still come home to like a wife and kids and go to somebody's kindergarten play. Like that's just bonkers to me, but it happens. And so, you know, you just have to kind of get into that mindset. And in terms of the physicality of writing it, I mean, it's not easy. So I definitely did research into female serial killers. And one thing that is always so interesting to me is until people start to read the book, they're like, oh, why does she kill the men? Like, is she trying to stay young or whatever? And I'm like, mm, no, because she's turned on by it. And they're like, no, that's not a thing. I'm like, it's a, definitely a thing. Like men do it. Like women can kill the, for the same reasons men do. Um, that's equality really, right there. That's, the that's really difficult for people to understand that, you know? And yeah. I, I kind of get it from like a fantasy perspective, but uh, nope, she's fully doing it just because it's a uh, sexual. I actually loved that about this because I thought at first because she looks younger than her age that she was mm -hmm. killing people and that was like a thing that she had to do and I kind of loved that I eventually found out no she just she just murders people and I was mm -hmm. like okay cool I'm, I'm actually down for this <laughs> like, I'm yeah. down to see where this goes I'm down it it felt like a it felt like a refreshing take on a trope that I'd seen before. It's like, no, this yeah. is actually a serial killer. It's yep. not a part of who she is. It's not the fantasy. I, I actually, and I love that you're able to approach a serial killer within a fantasy world that's also kind of real. And, mm -hmm. and that she's able to go through those things. I mean, you, you talked about you were traumatized from work, so you, but you found the joy in this book. You were traumatized yep. from sexual abuse. You found that joy. You're traumatized from terror. You found the joy in the book and you found a place to put yep. it. And I think yeah. that encompasses so much, both the beauty of writing and the beauty of this book itself. Thank you. Yeah. What was your favorite part of writing A Mermaid in Venice? Like it's such a fun book and, and we've talked about, you know, the trauma and stuff. I want to know what was the, where was the joy? <laughs> well, uh, Vittori was the best. Vittori. So he definitely brings the humor. So he's the, the barber and her like surrogate father. And I always loved, 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 loved writing the chapters with him. And I don't like at all think of myself as a funny person. I really don't like, I have a silly side, but like, I never thought that I could write anything funny to be honest. <laughs> I really don't. So I was really surprised that really pleasantly surprised that like, I was able to get this guy that was like, you know, silly, goofy and sweet and like, kind of guilt trippy and you know this right this like 82 year old you know Italian man Italian barber with scoliosis so I really loved him and I I think he's he's very central to the plot in a way because he's I don't want to give away too much but he's like happening in multiple time periods um and so he has a really strong connection to Gia and her family and I feel like that grounds it in reality and he he's the person that you, you see the best of Gia with him. It's interesting you say that because you were like, he grounds her in reality. And as you were saying that, I was like, he brings out her, he brings out your sympathy for her, like your yeah. love of her. I'm yeah. a huge fan of rooting so many male characters post Tony Soprano, post Breaking Bad, get to be the bad guy you're rooting for. 
And I feel like Gia is like, gets to be the good guy, good, the bad gal that you're rooting for. Yeah, exactly. And you're rooting for Like, I want her to, I don't want her to get caught. I want her to win. (laughs) I kind of want her to go again. (laughs) You kind of want to in the way that I was very, you know, that makes it, that makes it sound a little psychotic, but the same way that like, I wanted to see when Tony Soprano would lose his shit again, when, you know, in this way that we see so many mad men you know the men get to be mm-hmm. angry and mean and murderous in a way women don't get to and i love that in this book and i'm so glad to hear it's a series in the series we get to see a woman kind of lose her shit and become murderous yeah definitely huge anti-hero and you know that's absolutely intentional and a lot of what i wanted to do is take this idea of like the femme fatale and you never you know, many femme fatale stories like the 1941s or even in the 80s, like Body Heat, you see her and she's evil and you're aware of that, but you see her through the male gaze and you never really understand what her motives are besides like money or sex or whatever. And so I wanted to see the inside of her head and like what really motivates her and why she's dark. So you said that this book is now out of your hands and out into the world. Tell us where... Where, what does it feel like to self-publish? Did you have to work through your own stuff? I mean, there's still so much stigma, unfortunately. Unfor- like, this is a beautifully written book. And if I yeah. had known it was self-published, I wouldn't know it was self-published, which is a judgment in and of itself is self-publishing. But we have this yeah. stigma against self-publishing. How did you work through that yourself to put out in the world? I know that you were working for a series with like traditional publishers and you wanted to go mm-hmm. that route. And how did it, how did it come to pass as something that you decided to self-publish? Yeah. I mean, I don't give a fuck at all. <laughs> like, I just am like, where, what's going to make me the most money. Yes. Um, yes. Can so, we embrace that more? Yeah. We deserve to think of it like a product and think of how we can get that product out into people's hands and how we can make money off of it. Yeah. How, and like, yes. no shame on anybody's game, however they want to do it. Like for me, I never cared it was my writing partner who really wanted a traditional marketing or a traditional publishing deal. I had planned at the time actually to go ahead and start self-publishing even like in 2012. But then we started working together and she was like, no, I want a traditional deal. And I was like, all right, fine. Um, but the fact of the matter is exactly, exactly as you alluded to, you just are really are not making very much money per book. And for me, I wanted to have control over what the cover looked like. That was really important to me. The release date, the marketing plan, you know, and I, I honestly just don't want to give away like percentage to people who, you know, maybe don't like deserve it always. So I think with traditional publishing, they really want you to come. They don't want to have risk. They want you to come to the table with like your own platform and with your people. And, you know, they're, they're offering you, you know, their marketing team and their distribution. But to me, it's just, it seems these days less and less like a good deal. So it's like for me, purely a decision. Yeah. A business decision. I love that. I love, love, love that because I think so often what gets in our way is making our art too precious. Like, yes, create art when you're writing it, but when you're ready to get it out in the world and you want people Mm -hmm. to read it and you want to like make money as a writer, you got to think about, okay, am I actually going to get a good enough publishing deal that it's going to make up for losing 95% on every, like you get you get 95% when you self-publish and you get 5% when you traditionally publish. Is a traditional publisher going to get you enough extra sales to make up that difference? And a majority of the book deals, I know it doesn't, it really, really doesn't. And I think the people who perpetuate this idea that self-publishing is less than are the same people who want to take that 95% are like the, the, 
the the gatekeepers and I am all for like I have gone the traditional publishing route I've gone the self-publishing for me it's about what your book needs and I love that you let your book need to make money that's awesome yeah, 100% and you know when it comes to the marketing because like I said that's it's important to me to be able to control that like I haven't let for one second any kind of stigma come into play at all because I feel very confident and happy with the book that I wrote and I know it's I've done everything that I possibly can to make it a quality product, a very high quality product. And, you know, down from, from the cover to the writing, to my editor, to like pricing it the way that I priced it. So, you know, you do that and you put it out there and I've just been shouting as loud as I possibly can in fun ways and entertaining ways on social media to get it out there. And I really do feel like it's a beautiful book and you can tell that you put I mean, yes, you wrote it in that six-month period, but the cover feels high-end. The the writing and editing feels high-end. It wasn't like I was reading an, an error, like a grammar error every other page. And yeah. so I think for people who want to put their own books out there, the way to feel good about putting your own book out there is to actually put a book that you're like proud of and that you've put the effort into and that you know, okay, once it's out there, like I did the best I could at that moment how it was. Yep. And then you feel confident. I love that. How does it feel to be marketing something? Are you writing the second book now? Like, do you have to switch your brains between marketing and writing? Yes, you do have to do both. It is really difficult to do that. And definitely the fact that I have this marketing research helps a lot because I'm able to do content marketing to Arnold and Beth and deliver entertainment, like bite-sized entertainment that they'll like without just like constantly being like, buy my book, buy my book, like a carnival barker. Although I do do that as well <laughs> intermittently between, um, you just can't do that all the time because people will mute you. So yeah, I mean, today I had, a, I struggle that yesterday, like I mentioned was a really hard day. Uh, I think I got two in the weeds on social media and got like two in the metrics about like, Oh, enough people haven't liked this post or whatever. Yeah, that will drive you crazy. So you have to just set goals and step back. And when it comes to writing, I'm just now like today, I wrote a to-do list for myself and I said like, finish two chapters. And, you know, I just did it basically. I did my like little social media stuff. I went on like a nice walk by the beach. Did a TikTok video, came back. I was like, okay, and <laughs> let's do it. And finished off one chapter and then like, I'm about 75% of the way through the second chapter for the day. So you just got to like, just do it. I, I know that's like the worst, most annoying advice ever, but it is just like get in front of the computer, look at the wall, put the words down, get it done. <laughs> Picture it in your mind. However, whatever your process is, just like write the words. <laughs> I agree with that so much because I get, I get people being like, tell me the secret to writing. I'm like, right. <gasps> Right. Yeah. That's the secret to writing is sit your butt mm -hmm. in that chair and write, which is why mm -hmm. I think we could invest millions of dollars into or hundreds of thousands of dollars into going to get an MFA and becoming this like literate writer. But the real way to become a writer is just sit your butt in the chair and write. And that's how you get better. You write and read. That's how you get better. Yeah. And that's how you get there. And somebody was telling me this romance um, writer that I've been like, you know, kind of networking with over the past couple of weeks or whatever. She was telling me that she's using a lot of dictation software right now. So I, I don't think I could write that way. Cause it's very, I don't know. 
the process that I write is like very visual and I'm, I'm editing as I'm writing. So I think that that would drive me crazy, but I can see how for people who have maybe a very conversational writing style that that would work really well for them. So pro tip. <laughs> Right. I love that. I love that dictation software has come such a long way that you actually can start to use that as well. Or like, I'll speak into, um, like if I have an idea when I'm out on a walk, which is of course, mm -hmm. when I get like all my ideas, I'll speak mm -hmm. into my notes app and then send it to Trent and have it uh, transcribed. Cause that helps too. So whatever you do, just keep creating and keep writing folks. So okay. I have a couple last questions for you. Yeah. One is I would love to know one of the many, you don't have to pick the ultimate one, but what's a book that's changed your life? Oh gosh. A book that has changed my life. Oh my God. This is so goofy. Oh, the only one that comes to mind is the Celestine prophecy. I don't know it. What is this? What? You don't know the Celestine prophecy. Okay. Well, um, my mom had me read it when I was in high school. I think it came out then. And it's about like vibrational energy and like synchronicity and connecting with people. And um, it's a little goofy and new age, but it definitely helped open me up to more spirituality from inside myself and like connecting with people and like listening to signs in the universe and trying to find quietness inside my brain so that I can listen to the harmonies to know that I'm going the right direction. So I definitely still, it still stays with me. And it's like, I don't know, it's been integrated into my thought processing in general. I love that. I love when books resonate with us. I'll have to check it out. I don't know it, but I'll mm -hmm. have to check it out. I'm excited. <laughs> embarrassing cringe cringe <laughs> I love it I love it when people ask me I was in film school and people used to ask me what's your favorite movie and I'd be like uh, the Santa Claus it's what I watched I'm sad <laughs> it came out when my dad was in the hospital and I watched it all the time Aww. and they look at me like how do you choose the Santa Claus when you're in film school I was like what it's a good movie back off yeah <laughs> so I know that I know that feeling um what is a book that you want to read but not write I mean I wish that I had not written this one and that somebody else had written it so that I could read it <laughs> That would be great. But a book that I could read and not write, like my own? What do you mean? Yeah. So I think about like, I I would love to read more lesbian mystery, but I don't want to write mystery mm. books. Oh, I see. I see. I see. Okay. I mean, I really like science fiction and speculative fiction, but I couldn't, I would like to write a sci-fi opera, but I couldn't write like speculative fiction. So I would say anything like that. I mean, I can also say stuff I don't want to read. Like, I definitely don't like YA romance. Uh, uh, this is more like what you do want to read. So we'll start. Okay. okay, okay. Perfect. A sci-fi speculative fiction. Love it. And then my last and final question is, where can people find you? Where can they get more? Oh. Which I highly suggest reading. Where can they find you to connect with you more? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Mermaid of Venice is available on Amazon. Um, it'll be available on the everywhere else this summer. So in June, it'll be up for pre-order, um, but it'll be on like Kobo, Barnes and Noble, all the other spots. So both print and uh, ebook are on Amazon. And then the audiobook is coming out shortly. It's being recorded as we Yay. speak. Yes. Very exciting. And in terms of where to find me online, like I'm everywhere in social media. So just Google me, Jen C. Lumpkin. You can go to my website, jencylumpkin.com and sign up for my email list. Um, I do like exclusive giveaways and content there. And yeah, I'm on TikTok. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, like wherever the peeps are, I am. 
I love it. And we'll include some of those links down in the show notes as well to help you find Gen C and your link to Mermaid in Venice, which we're super, super excited about. Well, thank you again. Anything, any last minute tips or tricks you want to share with people before we say goodbye? Well, just a huge thank you, first of all, for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. Um, Huge tip. Yes. Don't get discouraged and just give it a shot. Like Google the W plot structure, see if that's something that's interesting to you. If you feel like it doesn't resonate with you, move on, try something else. But um, yeah, I definitely think it's changed everything since I decided to never start something until I know how it finishes. That's pretty critical for me. So that would be my number one tip for people. If you don't know how it ends, like maybe keep thinking. <laughs> I love it. Love it. And also, if you don't know how it ends, starts writing it and see if the ending comes at, at you. Yep. as well. I mean, that's yeah. like, make it a journal entry, start with a journal yeah. entry about the possible yeah. entry. <laughs> I, I yeah. love it. I love it. We will also have an, a link to that W plot structure and my whole mini free course on plotting. If people are interested in these show notes as well. So you can Ooh, exciting. Love yeah. that. Well, thank you again so much for coming on everybody. Go get yourself mermaid in Venice. It's, it's a really great, it's a really, it's a really great read right now when I'm struggling, not traveling. I felt like I got to travel to both Greece and Italy. So if you want to go to Venice, go pick up this book because you will be transported to the canals of Venice. Thank you again, Jensi, for coming on. It is just amazing to reconnect with you. And I'm so excited to um, help you promote this book because it's a really great book. Thank you so much. Hey everybody, this week's book rec is coming from none other than the interviewee this week on the podcast, Jensi Lumpkin, and it is her latest novel, A Mermaid in Venice. Now, I had this moment where I was just like, okay, I am 1 million percent down for this premise that is a gorgeous, luxurious, super mega rich mermaid living in Venice, Italy, who's killing men. I was down for that. I was like, okay, cool. I'm in. You hooked me. I got it. I'm down. But I also like you know, I wasn't quite sure. I was like, okay, come on. That's like a lot of hype. I don't know if I'm going to end up loving it. And about mm, a third of the way through the book, I couldn't put it down. I finished this book in 24 hours. That is how page turning it was for me. Now we are in the middle of a pandemic right now, and it felt really good to escape to Italy, to Greece, to like eat pasta, to swim through the canals of Venice with the mermaid. Yes, it is definitely an escapism book, but it's also kind of really interesting and don't like have me locked away for this, but it's kind of really cool to also get into the mind of a woman killer. We see so many anti-heroes in men. It's amazing to get to embrace an anti-hero in a woman. She is a straight up murderer, but she's also a mermaid. I'm here for it. I'm totally here for it. You'd think it wouldn't work, but it does. It works so great in Jensi Lumpkin's book, Mermaid in Venice. If you are a fan of Killing Eve or other similar stories, or if you just want to escape into a really great novel that's eventually going to be a six book series, so you know you get to just keep living in this world, I highly suggest picking up a copy of Mermaid in Venice by Jensi Lumpkin. Mermaid in Venice came out March 15th. Jensi self-published it herself. Super, super excited. Such a great, luxurious, amazing way to like delve into this world, but also support somebody who's trying to make a business as a writer. So go get yourself a copy. It's currently, y'all know I never suggest things on Amazon, but I'm going to say it's currently only available on Amazon till the summer where it will be available in independent bookstores. So if you want to wait till indie bookstores, I get it, but don't wait too long. Make sure you go and get yourself a copy of Jinsey Lumpkin's Mermaid in Venice. 
you just finished another episode of the School for Writers podcast. Woohoo! Go you! Did you know that we're more than just a podcast? School for Writers is a full-service support team helping you to get your story out into the world. Here are three ways you can get even more writerly inspiration and education. Number one, subscribe. It's so easy. All you gotta do is click that little subscribe button down below wherever you listen or watch the School for Writers podcast. That not only guarantees that you don't miss another episode, but it also helps support our continuation of this show. Number two, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Pinterest at School for Writers. Every day we post helpful tips and tools like journaling prompts, reading recommendations, and live interviews with inspiring experts. Number three, visit schoolforwriters.com where you can check out past episodes, join a writing program, and get even more tips, tools, and inspiration to support your writing life. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our Write More Challenge, a 10-day program to help you jumpstart your writing routine. Thanks again for supporting School for Writers. We'll see you next episode. School for Writers is produced by me, Lauren Marie Fleming, with editing and support from Samantha Olivares. All rights reserved by Las Maestras LLC. Our music is De Lejos by Ilabamba. Check them out on Spotify. Big thanks to the team at Terrorbird and big thanks to Kristen Hozak. And of course, a massive thank you to you, the listener. Now put down this podcast already and go write. I'll see you in the next episode.